Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in productivity and career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and committed to bringing you ideas and resources that will build your professional development plan. Uh, thanks for listening, and if you're a current nonprofit leader or you hope to be one, you're in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with philanthropic leaders who are really on the cutting edge of our sector. And if you would, do me a favor, share this episode with one other person so we can continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. Speaking of nonprofit leadership, I had a fantastic conversation in this episode with Rocky Cabano, who brings great experience not only as a practicing attorney working with lots of nonprofit organizations, but also someone who has actually served as an executive director. And he has seen firsthand many of the things you are likely dealing with right now. I would bet one of the things you're almost always thinking about as a nonprofit leader is talent development. How do you build the leadership team you need to achieve your mission? And the challenge we often face in the sector is, frankly, inadequate budget to hire and retain the talent we need. Uh, and so we end up hiring sometimes B players instead of an A player that we can't afford, or we look to bring someone in and hope that they can quickly ramp up and achieve the experience they will need to accomplish the leadership tasks required of their position. Well, that's where fractional leadership comes in, which might be a novel concept for you listening, but it's something to think about because Rocky and I discuss exactly what is fractional leadership, what problems can it solve, how does it actually work, and if you wanted to try it, how exactly would you get it started? All of these things are included in our great discussion. I hope you will check out the show notes because Rocky also has resources that offer further explanation. And quite honestly, I hope this will allow you to kind of step back and think out of the box in terms of how you assemble the leadership team your nonprofit requires. Well, don't forget to check out the show notes. This is episode number 90. Just go to the podcast or the news page at PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll find all of the resources we discuss, as well as more information on Rocky and the great work he's doing to support nonprofits through his law firm, Hull & Chandler. And speaking of resources, while you're on our website, make sure you connect with us. Get on our email list so you can get our free weekly resources, and let us help you build that strategic plan that your nonprofit needs right now. Or maybe it's time to re-engage your board through a facilitated workshop. Or perhaps we can even help you determine your next step toward nonprofit leadership through our coaching, training, or one of our mastermind programs. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Rocky Cabaneau. Rocky, thank you for joining me on the path. Well, thank you for having me, Pat. And this is a, it's a great pleasure to be here on... Uh, on your podcast, I've been a subscriber for quite some time. You know, so rating it highly and just love it. I mean, it's it's great. It's a great show, and I'm 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 just I'm really honored to be actually a guest on it. So thank you. Well, I'm grateful for your time and conversation because you bring a unique perspective, both legal expertise, but literally experience as a nonprofit leader. And I I'm certain our listeners are going to benefit from the technical advice you can offer us, but also the real experience. Um, and application of some of these topics. And of course, we'll get into this concept of fractional leadership, which I think Mm -hmm. is fascinating. And frankly, it's going to get some of our nonprofit listeners uh, to think differently, perhaps. But let's start with it, Rocky, a little bit about your story. 
Um, okay. Obviously, you are a trained legal professional, but you've also had some great nonprofit experience as well. So I have been a licensed attorney um, since 2002. And so uh, I, I practiced for a long time down in the state of Florida. I graduated from the University of Florida Law School, although I am a Tar Heel undergrad. So Patton, you know, that's where our- <laughs> All our right, so we won't hold that lie. against you. Yeah, right. And so my first job out of law school, I worked at a nonprofit legal services program. And I started to develop an interest in what they call community and economic development work. And so about uh, five years into my career, I was able to start a community economic development practice unit at another legal services program. And this is where I started to actually work with nonprofits as clients. So I didn't come into nonprofit work uh, classically, like you're an associate at a law firm that uh, typically handles much of the public charity and private foundation. I came through sort of a very grassroots area working with neighborhood groups and, and community groups looking to build affordable housing. Then I got the opportunity to return home to uh, North Carolina. I, I worked at the Charlotte School of Law. What, sort of at the time, my dream job, I was, I was brought in to start a community and economic development legal clinic. Uh, and so from 2012 to 2017, our nonprofit legal clinic served a sort of almost like a legal aid for nonprofits in the Charlotte area. So when nonprofits would come in, we'd help them form, get tax and status, uh, help them, you know, with fundraising issues, make sure they had a charitable solicitation license, help them with corporate governance or bylaws. And so these were the kind of skills that we were um, trans, uh, uh, transporting to our students at, at Charlotte School of Law. Uh, in 2017, um, while I was sort of pondering my options, I saw an opportunity to become the executive director of the Salisbury Rowan Community Action Agency. And it's a, right. it's a big nonprofit, relatively big nonprofit. It's a, a time of $15 million, federal, mostly federally funded nonprofit, did uh, federal programs such as Head Start and Early Head Start in five counties. It had uh, did workforce development through the Community Services Block Grant um, in two counties in North Carolina, I had at the time 300 full-time employees. And I thought this would be an interesting uh, professional challenge should I be able to to get that. And I think um, I was fortunate, blessed to uh, be uh, appointed as the uh, permanent executive director at the time they had an interim executive director for a lot longer than you probably should have an interim executive director. Right, Maybe right. we can talk about uh, that kind of uh, that kind of situation when we get into fractionals. Um, but I would say that the experience and the privilege of being the executive director of the action agency for two years from about 2017 through 2019 um, was very eye-opening. It was, uh, you know, after two and a half years of putting out fires, I, I we put out all the fires. Um, we were able to maintain our funding. Um, we were able to keep our program. And then I realized I'm not a nonprofit manager at heart. Yeah, <laughs> and, not in the long term, maybe, right? Yeah, and, and, um, and, and so I decided to return to the practice of law. And I will say this, Pat, and this is this goes out to every CEO, executive director, whatever your nonprofit calls you. I have the most utmost respect for those who are, you know, executive directors, nonprofits, because it is not for the faint of heart. Trust Indeed. me. On this. You and I both are committed to helping nonprofit leaders Absolutely. not have to always have the crash courses that we've had. And uh, I wonder, speaking of that, Rocky, advice, mm -hmm. you, you're used to juggling clients, lots of activity. Um, as a nonprofit leader, you had to juggle lots of constituents. Ooh. Was there any kind of, I guess, strategic advice you found that has helped you be more productive, given the volume of activity you have to juggle? 
I think you got to learn to delegate. Um, right. You know, I, I think for me, that has always been a struggle. But it was when I ran the nonprofit where I learned that delegating and, and trusting your, your people to do things and having the right people there is important. And then when you get the right people, trusting them to do what they're supposed to do. So I was never a micromanager. I wasn't a micromanager when I ran nonprofit. I wasn't a micromanager when I ran the clinic. Um, and so that's sort of my sort of leadership take is, um, you know, trust your people. And, and, and hopefully, particularly if you're in a nonprofit, that it's a mission-based organization that they do it for the love. So as far as strategy, I think it's just, uh, if you're a control person, you know, learn to let go. I think yes, that's, that, yes, that'll be yes. a key. Um, and it's, it's hard, particularly if you come in and you don't know, um, you know, you're new. That's a perfect segue because I, one, I want to highlight the advice you gave because I think so many nonprofit leaders, they're used to rolling up their sleeves and doing everything. And you're right. The temptation is to, well, I can probably do it easier and faster myself, but if we don't delegate, we're never going to build the strength of a team around us. And obviously we're not assuring that we're in the highest value role we need to be, which maybe is not writing that memo or Mm -hmm. something, someone that you could delegate to, but let's jump into Rocky. I'm excited because fractional leadership has had my wheels turning after Mm -hmm. as soon as you and I started talking about it. And so I've got kind of a rapid fire set of questions for you, starting with what exactly is fractional leadership? What, What do you mean? Fractional leadership, or maybe, maybe even just fine tune it a little more to like fractional C-suite, right? So it's okay, uh, good point. It's, it's more championed in the for-profit sector. I think it will, what I'm trying to do is get it more championed in the nonprofit sector. But ultimately, these are professionals uh, who have many years of experience and the organization, whether nonprofit or for-profit, retains them on a part-time basis rather than as a full-time employee of the company. And so why they call it fractional is that the executive, whether it's a CFO, uh, COO, CEO, HR director, CMO, they would devote anywhere from maybe a few hours a week since a fraction of their time or to several days a month to the company based on what what they agree upon. The key for the fractional executive is that they're still kind of a free agent. And so they could serve other companies as a fractional executive um, at any one time. In other words, it's almost outsourcing uh, an experienced executive. Um, I'm getting, help, help yeah, I'm, I'm getting the equivalent, Rocky, of a full-time talent that I could not afford, mm-hmm. but I am getting their brain power for uh, a part-time. And that part-time investment uh, may be well worth anything I could hire at an equivalent full-time rate for someone who's frankly less talented or experienced, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say this and the difference between a consultant and a fractional. So I think that we've at least expressed, like, obviously a fractional is very different than a full-time employee, right? Right. Um, and in fact, a fractional is treated as a contractor. So you don't pay fringes and benefits. It's a, usually a flat monthly fee uh, based upon the hours that you have contracted from the, the, the fractional executive. You can get a fractional C-suite person at a, at a rate more comparable to you maybe maybe one of your more entry level um, staff positions with the salary and the fringes combined. So exactly right. I'll give you an example. So like if you are, you know, you have some sort of maybe program coordinator or something like that, maybe it's a $45,000 salary, right? That's what you put on LinkedIn, but then you got a 
multiply by 1.3 or so, and that's going to be your fringes and benefits, right? Your right, retirement, right. your health care. I don't know if you have short-term, long-term disability, all of that kind of stuff. So maybe that's a re- really more of a budget expenditure of fifty-five or $57,000 as, as part of your annual budget. And a fractional, and we're talking, so that you're talking about that's, you know, some program coordinator versus a fractional who's a, a CFO with many years experience probably would cost around that much, maybe even less, depending on how many hours you really need from that person. There's a certain level of intimacy and being a member of your team that a fractional has that a consultant typically is not going to provide. Good point. And continuity, right? In terms of being on the team. I mean, there is a point for a consultant, right? If you need a strategic plan, you know, you need that consultant to come in and, and bring all the stakeholders together and, you know, spend that time with the sticky boards on the paper and write that report. And the difference is with the fractional executive is that person is a member of your team. Yeah. yeah, just because they're not an FTE and they're not, maybe they're not part of your retirement plan or anything like that. Factional CFO is on your website, has probably an email that says that CFO at blankityblank.org. So when you have a management team meeting, and obviously we're all doing management team meetings by Zoom, um, you can bring that person wherever they are in the world. It helps build bench strength in your management and your staff. And what I mean by that is you watch sports. Who are the best teams? They're the teams that have the strongest bench. Some starter is not doing well. You pull this out. A football team, you know, if you have a backup quarterback who's uh, experienced in something, you don't feel as bad as like, you know, like when the, the Eagles... You know, they won that Super Bowl like, two or three years ago. With they, a backup they got, they quarterback. On the back of a backup quarterback who was very experienced. You can and, withstand an injury, so to speak, right? Yeah, or a transition, yeah. which the nonprofit sector struggles yeah. with turnover. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So take an example here. You maybe brought in a fractional HR director, but you have an HR specialist who you really want to groom. And you want to see that person be a full-time because uh, at some level, you probably want your HR person there every day, right? But maybe you're in a situation where um, you're, you're just training the HR specialist to become an HR director. So you have the fractional in place and they groom that person, they develop the skills. Maybe the HR specialist takes the SHRM exam, passes the SHRM exam, gets a certification, and now is appointed as a full-time uh HR director, you put the fractional on the bench, so to speak, meaning that, okay, well, just hang out and, you know, maybe we need you some one-off things or here. Fewer hours, right? Right. Yeah. But just remember, we're in a very fluid job market. So you've invested a lot of this time into this HR specialist to become an HR director and they leave. Well, just like in the football situation where, oh my goodness, our starting quarterback is gone. You call up your fractional who knows your organization. Knows step right in. Yeah. Right, step right in and um, can manage things until either you find a new person or as I've seen in some situations, you know, a lot of fractionals will convert into full time because in the nonprofit sector, because they love what they're doing, you know, because most of them come from the for profit sector. It's it, there is a uh, the one thing the nonprofit sector will always have on the for profit sector, at least in my opinion, is that that meaning that you're looking for with a job that you can, you, you feel like what you're doing isn't just for a paycheck, but actually is performing impact. So there's a lot That's of times where interesting you can, you can kind of convert that too. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that happens 100% of the time, but it's not, it's not it, out of the question. Yeah, either, it's just, is it? yeah. It's just like how people volunteer themselves into jobs and the nonprofits, right? To my opinion is don't be so wedded to hierarchies and, 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 and organizational charts and how, 
a COO and a CMO and, or, a C, or a grant or a chief resource officer, they're all supposed to look. Um, you can plug holes utilizing fractional executives in appropriate situations. Yeah. I'm struck by that. And and you're right, because if I can only afford a more junior position, let's say, you're giving me a path to more senior experience and expertise, which is fascinating. Yeah. Let me ask you, though, I guess two questions. So I'm a nonprofit yeah. leader. I'm thinking about this. You've got my attention uh, in, in exploring fractional leaders, their capacity, I guess, is one question. You know, how much time can they give? Is is I'm sure the ethics of the profession would prevent a conflict of interest, but I'm wondering if there would be some instinct. Like, All right, well, Rocky, you're fractional for me, but you're also working with a another nonprofit across town. Are there any issues you could see emerging like that? I think it depends on the the type of position. So, so one of the things I'm offering now is fractional general counsel, which is sort of an is an extension of the fractional C-suite. So again. Obviously, you know, who is allowed in the C-suite and on the for-profit side is always a matter of debate. Sometimes they let the HR director in, maybe they sometimes they don't, you know, and then sometimes they let the lawyer in, sometimes they don't. And so, uh, but obviously, uh, COO, CFO, those are CEO, those are the ones who are obviously um, in, in, the, in that C-suite. But um, I think for me, you know, the real question is, is, is my professional responsibility. So as an attorney, um, you know, I would have to with, you know, I, I, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm fractional, well, it's just like having another client for me, it's just about clients. You know, if I had two clients that were adverse to each other, I, I couldn't be involved in that. And I, you know, those are uh, those things. I think as far as other professionals, whether it be a CFO or, um, you know, I think that it comes down to their own level of professional ethics, what they're, what they're certifying or, or whatever um, it, it are involved in. So let me ask you that. I mean, you've talked about HR and talked about CFO as a fractional kind of leadership opportunity. But yeah, let, specifically, maybe I'm a nonprofit leader. I'm thinking about fractional leadership. What are the categories that I could consider if I'm maybe not ready for full time? Yeah. But HR is mean, one. Tell me the others. Really, any sort of management position um, that requires a certain level of experience that you need that experience, um, but you know you may not be at a position where you could bring that person in competitively at a full time level. Right. And so HR is 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 huge, you know. And I think that um, you know the more employees you have, you know, the if more you're growing, issues. right, especially. Yeah. And um, and the more ge- geography you have, you know, I think is, is an Good issue. Point. So when I took over the action agency, you know, we were in uh, six counties. We had 21 early learning centers throughout those five or six counties. So there's different staff in different counties, you know, in, in the state of North Carolina, um, you know, and, and the bulk of our, our program was Head Start, but we also had, you know, a number of other uh, divisions that were funded by different sources. I think um, HR, you know, I think that we, um, you know, it was just not in a great place. So we had this idea that maybe we could try to do it by committee. So I hired a consultant, uh, an HR consultant to come in. And wrote me a report, and basically her assessment was: you need a real HR person. Don't try yeah, to do this. Confirmed the. <laughs> yeah, right. don't try to do this, and and so um, I was at a uh, a benefits training because because at the time I was more or less acting as my own HR director. So I was a ED, you know, talking about delegating and stuff for a, a good couple, uh, maybe at least a couple of weeks. There, I was handling all of the HR 
related things, you know, um, very outstretched and stuff. Uh, but, you know, I'm like, I thought to myself, I'm a lawyer, I know how to, you know, I can probably, um, you know, handle a lot of this. And, and, and uh, that was another area where no, you need to delegate and you need to find the right people. And so by happenstance, I found I met someone at a benefits training in, in Charlotte, um, who is a SHRM certified HR director who was looking to be a consultant. So I brought her in to kind of, I said, well, would you sit on an interview committee with me? And would you at least uh, help me vet my next HR director? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So she had had the child, she, her child had, was hearing impaired and had, and, and had gone through Head Start because um, at one time, so she very, very, had a very, you know, um, a very uh, positive uh, aspect towards Head Start programs. And so, but then it just turned out that, you know, she kind of could see immediately was like, you need a little more help. And so I'll volunteer. And she kept volunteering, but then at a certain point, it's like Rocky, I, I'm I'm probably going to need to get paid. So yeah, we got to turn this into a real job here, right? So we ended up creating. I said, well, Tanya, I'll be, you know, the uh, the person who was our CFO, you know, she um, you know, she's on a contract. So let me put you on a contract. So I put I put her on a contract, and and she helped me basically reform the entire HR thing. I mean, I think now they have a full time, you know, HR kind of person, but. You know, if they ever ran into a situation where that person left, they have the bench strength with that person, you know, to go back to uh, the person who was our, our fractional HR and, and, and just have them come back in in a pinch, you know. Yeah, so that's I you've developed that, a bench strength, as you said before, right? By, yeah. That's when um, I decided, you know, a year and a half ago to return to the practice of law. But now having that experience, my ability to serve my nonprofit clients is much different and much more. Um, nuanced and much more effective than it was prior to um, serving like the nonprofit clients I had during the law school and then prior to my time in the law school, much more different because now I know much more the ins and outs of of the organization. I know what EDs go through, both both internally with their own staff, their relationships with the board, whether it's good or bad. I've had I've had both with them even in that short time. Yeah. Well and Rocky just got a few minutes left. So I want to make sure I get two quick questions. Number one, if I'm interested in this concept, how do I find fractional talent? I guess there are law firms like yours, if, you know, for folks around the country, around the world, even, or where else would you go if I'm interested? There are are a number of firms out there. You can just Google it. Like if you're looking for fractional, um, you know, um, C-suite type, like the HR director, the the, the CFO and those types. But what I'm trying to do is bring the notion of uh, bringing a lawyer onto your team. I think that, uh, particularly nonprofits, I think they, they, they starve themselves a lot when it comes to legal services. Right. right. um, They come from an area of lack, like, well, we can't even uh, afford a a full-time grants officer. We can't, you know, the the idea of having an in-house lawyer, my God, that's just such a, that, that, that's, that's such a, a, um, you know, a luxury. My job, you know, as, as, as a fractional GC is to, be the ED's best friend, right? You know, because you've got all these different issues going on. And if you could just bring your consigliere in, um, whether by phone, Zoom or something um, that you can manage to spend on, um, you know, review this contract, you know, it's something like that, or, you know, help me with a personnel matter, right? When I've got a thinking of letting somebody go, but exactly at this and and see if we've got enough paperwork. Cause I mean, unfortunately that's a lot of the decisions uh, with HR is, you know, did we do enough to, um, let this person go? And if they come back with like an EOC complaint or something, are we prepped for, for that? And I know a lot of HR professionals do a lot of that work, but there are times where HR professionals are kind of put in a position of being 
uh, having a need to make a, a labor law opinion, and they're not lawyers. And they're not qualified necessarily. They don't need to do that. And so, you know, you could have an outside labor firm, but I think what a good thing about having a fractional GC is that this person isn't just focused on labor. They're here to help you with risk management. So you've got a lot of, you know, they can review all the insurance policies, help you vet carriers and brokers. Because these are things that I, I now bring because I now know what the EDCs, but I have a lawyer brain too. So then I apply this having to manage all these different functions and, and, and manage the compliance. And then fundraising law, that's a huge issue. That's what separates. I mean, one of the main things that separates, I think, for-profit businesses from nonprofits is they all have HR. They all have accounting to have to do, but you know, fundraising compliance is a huge issue for nonprofits. And I usually probably have a separate counsel that helps them with fundraising law, you know, and then you have a separate attorney that helps them with labor. But a fractional GC like myself who knows both those things, you can merit you, you have somebody who can cover all of those things and you get a flat monthly rate on that. And it's a person you can put on the website and, and, and also help you with grant applications. Cause then when you write grant applications, big things like the feds, you know, they want to see what your management team is, it right? It demonstrates well, compliance. So it doesn't you know, it? demonstrates or compliance. Else? And then who, who's going to, who, how many times have you ever written a grant and part of your management team has general counsel on it? Probably never. Yeah. Not never. many nonprofits can say that. Yeah. And so, I, I think there's some there's some day one advantages of bringing in a fractional general counsel, which is what I mean, I think that, um, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of benefits of that. And I think many law firms are starting to do that. I think I might very well be the only one I know of that's offering fractional GC services to nonprofits. And I would say that if you're interested in learning more about how fractional GC can help your nonprofit, I've, I've written a lot of blogs about that on the Holland Chandler uh, website. So yeah, we'll have to put that in the show notes for sure, Rocky, because you have got some great content on this for the listeners that do want to learn more. You've kind of introduced the concept. Let me ask you one more question though. Again, typically an executive director might say, well, Rocky, but I've got an attorney on my board, Mm. but uh, describe to me the flaw maybe in that thinking (laughs) in terms of covering all my legal uh, you know, yeah, problems. That's the, that's the topic of one of my, an upcoming CLE I'm going to be doing for the North Carolina Bar Association are lawyers serving on boards and what their ethical requirements are. I would right. say number one is ask the question because yeah, you, know, you hear that all the time. I think that's usually the way to kind of brush off legal. So I already got an attorney on my board, but here's my question to you. Is that attorney on your board, the attorney for the nonprofit or are they serving as an advisor to the board, kind of like the person from the bank or the person from the CPA that you have, right? Um, I think that if you were to ask that attorney, are they the lawyer for the organization? Nine times out of 10, I think that they would be uh, a little uh, hesitant to say that they represent your nonprofit as a client, you know, because then they would have to run the nonprofit through their conflict check, you know, um, at yeah, their own exactly. Job. It would have to be listed as a client of that firm. So that's a whole other area. And then, so number one is the lawyer that you have on your board. Do they know that they, that, that you think that they are the attorney for the nonprofit? So that's number one. And number two is you want that not all lawyers, um, you know, I mean, you should, it's good to have a lawyer on your board. I mean, that, that yeah, is right, right. said, but you know, if you have someone who's, let's say they're a criminal defense litigator, I mean, there are definitely, um, there's certain analytical things that all lawyers have, but will that person understand, you know, issues related to corporate governance of a nonprofit? Will that person understand 
fundraising compliance, you know, uh, laws, you know, your charitable solicitation license and things that they do. They have a, an understanding of, you know, um, the 401k or the 403b and, and the compliance and those, you know, whatever forms you have to do every year related to that. It is good to have a lawyer on your board. They provide certain skills, but ask yourself, are they the lawyer for your nonprofit? And, and ask them, are you the lawyer for this nonprofit? And I think that the, your expectation and their answer may not always meet. That's a good way to put it. And Rocky, this has been fantastic. Uh, one for opening up a concept that I think nonprofit leaders perhaps don't think about. We tend to groom uh, new talent, young talent, hope they can rise to the level of C-suite, as you put it, executives. Mm-hmm. But perhaps there is a way to accelerate this process by bringing in uh, senior level talent uh, without yeah. even having the funds, but I, I think how I, would you, how would you kind of summarize all of this as we close? Right. So I think yeah. that, uh, don't be afraid to think outside the box. I think that when, if you are in that situation where your nonprofit really needs to turn around there, your ED has left your, maybe your board chair, you know, you, you know, these situations, they, they, they happen a lot more than you would like to think. Indeed. Um, and, and this might be a way to bridge that gap much faster. Yeah. Right. Put together the problem solving team and stabilize the patient, basically. Staunch yeah, the that, bleeding. I think that's right. really so we can get back to mission, right? We can get back to mission. Yes, and, absolutely. Uh, Rocky, this has been fantastic. Lots of advice, lots of, as you said, maybe out-of-the-box thinking for nonprofit leaders to consider a new approach. Uh, you want me to tell one, you my book? Well, yes, indeed. One <laughs> parting gift is my request of uh, give us something we should read. Okay, well, my my book that I think that should be added to Lexicon, it's helped me out pretty much my entire professional career is a book called Servant Leadership by Robert Greenleaf. Oh, fantastic. Love that. I will absolutely add it to our list. We will include it in the show notes as well as Rocky. Where can people go to find out more about you? And we'll uh, include it in the show notes as well. Yeah, well, uh, so first place, I so I work at the law firm of Holland Chandler. You want to learn more about um, fractional executives? I actually uh, have a show called uh, the Holland Chandler Leadership Series on YouTube. Uh, we do it about maybe once or twice a month. Um, and I did interview a, a fractional organization that offers fractional uh, executives, fractional C-suite, as one of them. So if you're in, really interested and want to see. Uh, me interview somebody about that. You can go uh, just Google. Uh, we can put a link in there to the Holland Channel Leader Series. And we're going to have uh, later this year, uh, we're going to have Mr. Pat McDowell. <laughs> we're going to switch sides a little bit here. Uh-oh. And I'm uh-huh. going to ask the questions uh, that you always want to know about Pat. Oh, well, Rocky, thank you. I look forward to joining you on your program. And I'm grateful you uh, we're willing to share your wisdom with our listeners. And so thank you again for joining me on the path. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Rocky as much as I did and came away with some practical and maybe some new ideas that could help you and your organization think about talent development. Don't forget to check out the show notes. They are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com, and you can find out more about Rocky and his services, especially uh, the new leadership series he's developed through his law firm, Hull & Chandler. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe by going to the podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll see links to all of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes or on bonus episodes like this one. The regular episodes come out every Thursday morning. 
and we will continue to produce those for your enjoyment. If you like this episode, you might also enjoy Tasha Anderson's episode on accounting best practices. Tasha was part of episode number 87, and while you're continuing to think about all of the HR and personnel issues that you will face as a nonprofit leader, check out Sally Loftus's great episode, it's number 64, and it gets into HR and compensation in particular that you will have to manage as a nonprofit leader. Well, thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now, and keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.